Well, Happy New Year, everyone. We have a lot to celebrate today, and not just the, the turn of a page on the calendar in the beginning of a new year. Today is the eighth day of Christmas. It's the octave of Christmas. That's what it means. It's the eighth day in our celebration of Christmas. And this is the day when Mary and Joseph would have had their child circumcised in accordance to the Jewish law. And at his circumcision is when he would be formally given his name, Jesus. That name given to him by the angel that means God saves. God saves Jesus. And today, the church also celebrates the great solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, which is a big day for us because this is a patronal feast day of our parish of St. Mary, Mother of God. And today, Bishop Jugis makes the formal announcement to the diocese that we will be formally petitioning the Vatican to recognize Mary, Mother of God, as the patroness of the entire diocese of Charlotte. So I think that gives our parish a very special place in the diocese, as we're the only one named for Mary, Mother of God. Under that. There are a lot of St. Mary's in the diocese, but we're the only one with that title. And we do venerate the Blessed Mother under so many titles, right? Some of the titles refer to specific apparitions of Our Lady, like we have Our Lady of Guadalupe, or we have Our Lady of Fatima. Some of the titles that we venerate Mary under refer to her role as an intercessor for us, like Mary, Help of Christians, or Our Lady, Undoer of Knots. Sometimes the titles we bestow upon her reflect a particular doctrine of Marian belief, like the Immaculate Conception, or Our Lady of the Assumption. But this title, out of all of the titles, the most ancient title, the most venerable title, and the most profound, that's the one that we celebrate today, Mother of God. In Greek, it's Theotokos, which literally means God-bearer, the one who bore God in her womb. It's the oldest Marian title. And because it's the oldest Marian title, it shouldn't surprise us that this is also the first one that people wanted to challenge. We're kind of used today as Catholics of Protestants challenging some of our Marian devotions, our, the titles that we give to Our Lady, saying, oh, you're making too much of Mary when you give her all of these different titles. But that wasn't the case in the 5th century. In the 5th century, when some certain Christians started to object to Mary being called the mother of God, they weren't objecting to anything that the church was teaching about Mary. They were objecting to what the church was teaching about Jesus, about her son. There was a heretical bishop named Nestorius who, died, who denied the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. Now that's the teaching that Jesus possesses both a full human nature and a full divine nature. So he's fully man and he's fully God. And that these two natures are united in one single person, Jesus Christ. There's not a duality of personalities within Jesus. There's not the person of the Son of God and then the person of, of Jesus that happen to coexist. Right? Jesus doesn't have multiple personalities. It's one person, Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man. But Nestorius didn't like that way of thinking about Jesus. And he said, okay, you can call Mary the mother of Jesus, 
That's his human name. You can call Mary the mother of the Christ, but you can't call Mary the mother of God because God can't be born of a woman. God can't be conceived you know, in time. God is eternal, so you can't call Mary the mother of God. That's wrong. But the church in the early 5th century Council of Ephesus responded to this and said, no, you can't separate Jesus' divinity and his humanity in that way. Right? If you say that it's impossible that God could be born of a woman, well then how can you explain God dying on the cross for our sins? And if that's merely a man who died on the cross, if he only died on the cross in his human nature, then you and I are not saved and our faith is in vain. No, that's God on that cross. And so that's God in that manger and that's God in the womb of our blessed mother. By upholding our honoring Mary with the title Mother of God or Theotokos, we're insisting upon the reality that the child in her womb, Jesus, is God. Jesus is God. This Marian title is a statement about the divinity of Christ. The child that Mary conceived in her womb, the child that she carried for nine months, the child that she gave birth to at Bethlehem, is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, as we profess in our creed. And only by upholding Mary as the mother of God do we profess the truth about her son. And so that's why, to me, this particular title of Mary exemplifies Mary's role in the life of the church, which is to point us to her son, to direct us always to her son. If you ever struggle with understanding why the church might teach certain things about Mary, a good thing to do is say, okay, well, what does this tell me about her son? What does this teach about her son? And if you look at it under that, from that perspective, you'll come to the truth. Because this is what Mary does for us. It's what she did at the wedding at Cana. She took the waiters and she pointed to Jesus and she said, do whatever he tells you. We have those words emblazoned on the back wall of our church behind the baptismal font, or right now behind the Christmas tree. Right? Do whatever he tells you. This is what Mary does for us in our Marian devotion. She points us to Jesus. She says, listen to him. Do what he tells you. Trust in him. So let's do that. Let's listen to the mother of God today and hear what is she telling us about her son? What is she telling us about Jesus? When we think about all the things that make Mary great, what is it, we might ask, that merits her this great honor of being the mother of our Lord? Is it that she was immaculately conceived? No, that's not it. Is it because she was assumed into heaven that she gets this honor? No. Is it because she was a virgin or because she was descended from the line of David? No. None of these things about Mary or what caused her to be the mother of God. So what was it? It was her yes. It was her yes. It was the fact that Mary said to the angel at the Annunciation, let it be done to me according to your word, and she meant it with every aspect of her being. She meant it. She held nothing of herself back from the will of God. And at her profound yes, the word of God took on flesh in her womb. The word became man and dwelt among us. The son of God became the son of Mary. 
Now, Mary alone has that privilege of bearing Jesus in her womb and nursing Jesus at her breast. But there is a lesson for all of us here. We all participate in this mystery. As Father John Paul said at the beginning of Mass, Mary is indeed the mother of us all. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us who are baptized as members of the body of Christ, you know, we're members of Christ's body. That body was born of the Virgin Mary, so she is our mother too. But there's another way of thinking about this reality. We can all be, and indeed we're all called to be, mothers of God. We can all be mothers of God. Yes, even you guys too, right? You say, Deacon Matt, you're crazy. What's, where are you going with this? Jesus himself teaches in Matthew's gospel, whoever does the will of my heavenly father is my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does the will of my heavenly father is my brother, my sister, and my mother. This is why we call Mary the model of the church, because all of us who are members of the church have the blessing of being mothers to God. And I'll explain what I mean. The incarnation, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, right? The incarnation, God becoming man and dwelling among us, Emmanuel, God with us. That didn't end at Christmas. God doesn't cease to be with us when we take down the Christmas decorations and put away the lights and get rid of the poinsettias. God with us, Emmanuel, that's an ongoing reality in the church. God is with us. At every Mass, every day, on this altar, the Word becomes flesh. The Word becomes flesh for us. Every time the priest speaks the words of Christ and says, this is my body, the bread and the wine that we offer become Emmanuel, become God with us. And so every time we come forward and we present ourselves and we say yes to God and we receive a Holy Communion, that body of Christ, the body of Jesus, comes to dwell in us, in our bodies, just as he dwelt for nine months in the womb of the Virgin. We can all be, in a sense, mothers of God. But that means, that means sharing in Mary's acceptance, in her openness of God's will. And what is God's will for us? Well, God's will for each one of us is holiness, to be like God. But what that looks like, how that's going to manifest itself in our lives, is unique for each one of us. And that's why this is something that has to be discerned through prayer, through reflection, by, by keeping the mysteries of the faith that we hear about when we come to church, keeping them in our hearts, as Mary did, reflecting upon them, and reflecting upon how they intersect with the concrete reality of our lives, what we're faced with today. I'll give you one example. It's a priest friend of mine recently shared uh, online about an experience that he had when he was still in seminary. He had become so frustrated with what he saw as the failings of the leadership in the church, he just didn't see any way that he could serve as a priest in a corrupt institution, in such a corrupt world. And so he met with his formation director to inform him of his decision that he wanted to leave and told him why. And his formation director was very sympathetic. But he asked him, he said, give it two days. Just give it two more days. 
And I don't want you to think about the corruption in the church. I don't want you to think about the scandals. I, I just want you to pray and reflect upon this simple question. Is God calling me to be a priest? Because if he is, if the answer is yes, then nothing else matters. And God will give you whatever grace you need to overcome any challenges that you may have. So just do that for me. Give me two days. And he did. And he prayed for two days. And the answer came very clearly to him. Yes, God was calling him to be a priest. And so he took that leap of faith and he remained in the seminary. And today he's been serving as a priest for I don't know how many years. But he has a very joyful priesthood. And he's blessed so many people. And it hasn't been without challenges. But it's also been filled with an abundance of God's grace. We lost our Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, yesterday. And uh, social media was full of all kinds of tributes to him. And in one of the tributes, I read a fact about his childhood that I had never heard before. You know, he grew up under the Nazi regime in Germany. And uh, apparently, when he was a young boy, he witnessed a priest getting uh, beaten, beaten by Nazi soldiers outside of church right before he went in to celebrate Mass. And I thought about that, and I thought, what a great trust in God the young Joseph Ratzinger must have had when he said his yes to God and decided to become a priest, knowing from firsthand experience what that could mean. That would put a target on his back, that elements in the world would hate him for what he is. And yet he said yes to God, not knowing what might come, but trusting we do this. I know there's a lot of married couples here. When you say yes, when you marry your spouse, we put that little clause in the wedding vows, for better or for worse. We don't know what the future has in store, but we say yes, trusting that God will give us the grace that we need to overcome whatever may come. This is how it works. When you say yes to God, that yes comes with the grace needed to endure any challenges that result from your following God's will. Very often accepting God's will means accepting graciously those things which are entirely outside of our control. And again, what this means is going to look different in all of our different circumstances. I think about the, the witness, the great witness of Pope St. John Paul II in the latter years of his life when he was just debilitated with his Parkinson's and yet he continued on. He continued serving the church, and he made all these public appearances. And his public appearances, even when he could barely speak, barely move, were such a great and powerful witness to the dignity of human life, even when it's racked with pain and suffering and illness and disability. And that witness was more powerful than anything he could have preached. But then we also have the example of Pope Benedict XVI, who resigned the papal office when it became clear to him that because of advancing age, he could no longer serve the church actively. And he knew that there were better ways that he could serve God by devoting himself to a life of prayer. And so his prayers of intercession for the church in the latter years of his life, we'll probably never know this side of heaven, the effect that that had. So both of these holy men accepted God's will for their lives with grace and with a great trust in God's providence, even though they ended their papal careers quite differently, quite differently. God knows what he's doing when he calls each one of us 
And God knows what he's doing when he challenges each one of us. God knew what he was doing when he called Mary to be both virgin and mother. That was not the vocation that Mary signed up for. You know, Mary didn't aspire as a little girl. I'm going to be a virgin and I'm going to be a mother. And I'm going to be the mother of God. You know? But this was something that was presented to her. Something that she could accept and say yes to. Not fully knowing what joys and what sorrows would result from that. But trusting that whatever it was, God's will for her was the best. And that's what she wanted to. So as we embark upon a new year... Let's imitate Mary and her openness when she said, be it done to me according to your word. In all of our New Year's resolutions, let's desire for ourselves what God desires for us and be content with that. And let's, again, imitate Mary's devotion by keeping the mystery of the incarnation, the mysteries that we celebrate now at Christmas, keeping them in our heart and reflecting on What does the reality of God will, God with us, Emmanuel, what does that reality mean for me in my life? And if we do this, if we're open to God's will for us, then we can share in Mary's blessing by becoming mothers and brothers and sisters of our Lord and co-heirs to God's heavenly kingdom. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us.